Hey. Hi. Are we are we recording? We are recording. Well, hello everybody. Okay, welcome cool. back, Big Girl Pants Podcast. Yes, welcome back, Big Girl Pants Podcast. Yeah. No, 82. This will be 82. Holy crap, that's insane. Yes. I can't wait till we can say 100. I know, very close. I hope we're not in quarantine when we do 100, though. I think we're kind of done being in quarantine anyway. <laughs> yeah, are you done being in quarantine, Christiana? I'm so over it. Uh, I don't, I, I'm such a homebody, um, but I kind of love it, but all of my business, all of my businesses require people meeting up and hanging out, so then from a business perspective, I'm over it. Yeah. You're like, money-wise, mm. <laughs> me? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like our in-person um podcasts are recordings much better than doing the zoom it's just mm-hmm. fun like when you get to sit with people in your like right around this table and we're all together just good just feels good and I miss that the cool thing about zoom though is that like so first the green box that covers the screen when you're talking but also you have to like learn how to shut up somebody yeah yeah you have to really work on your conversation skills like you have to pause listen Mm -hmm. be quiet so that's good so that's one good thing but yeah I'm so over being quarantined so today we have Christiana how do you say your last name Yebra Yebra Yebra. perfect yeah perfect um and she's the CEO of Vouch app and I'm gonna let you like plug it talk about what it is a little bit and then we're gonna get into your story yeah, well, um, thank you guys for having me. Uh, I, I do, although I don't love quarantine, I do like getting time to actually sit and enjoy conversations and meeting new people. So this has been really fun. But I am the CEO of Vouch. Um, I also own and operate a few other businesses, but I think the other one I'm most well known for is Currently Events, which is a photo booth technology company, and then Millennial Clubs, which I just actually stepped down from this last year, um, but it was a four-year company where we built and created really beautiful social communities and professional networking events. And um, But Vouch has been my, my, my baby the last year. I took over the company February of, of last year on Valentine's Day. Um, and uh, Vouch is a, is a dating app, which isn't, um, you know, an unpopular thing. There are a lot of people using them, especially now. Um, but what makes us different is that friends and family can be invited to Vouch for a single dater. And the goal of that, which I'm sure I'll get into, is um, really to create a more authentic, safe dating experience when you've got references. So uh, much like LinkedIn um, or being hired, if you have a too-good-to-be-true resume or your LinkedIn looks fake, the first thing to think about is like, okay, who's vouching for this person? Who is a reference? You want to make sure that it's legit. Um, And so online dating right now is a too-good-to-be-true resume with no references. You can make up whatever the hell you want um, about a profile. So um, our goal is to make a more fun, um, safe, and authentic uh, dating experience for all the great single daters that that are out there looking to connect. Virtually or not. It's so funny <laughs> because, so uh, the dynamic here, Shapiro used to be my boss. I used to work for her. Um, mm-hmm. And then we would just have these really good conversations. And I was like, man, we really need to start a podcast. Well, ironically, like having, she like found someone that I used to work with to vouch for me, to give mm-hmm. her a reference, like a yeah. reference about hiring me before she did so. And it's just so funny, like how convenient would it be if you had that for someone that you were dating? 
because we do yeah. that with work all the time. And Kimberly <laughs> and I both work in staffing, so we know the importance oh, yeah. of references. Like it's mm-hmm. vital. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, if you think about it, people. I mean, my fr- I've got friends who love to go to new brunch spots and restaurants when we could, um, when they go into a new city. And to be totally honest, and entirely probably maybe way too candid i've i know people who spend more time researching a brunch spot um and looking into feedback and the reviews than somebody might somebody they might get into bed with um or meet or spend time with or let them pick up you know be picked up by on for a date and they do less research into finding out who that person is than they do when they're trying to check out you know a brunch spot in miami and it's kind of crazy um, now that's not everybody, but it's very interesting how social media and the digital world has kind of totally changed how we pursue people and you know, what's important to us. And um, so Vouch has been a really, I don't come from the dating space at all. Um, and so this has been a really interesting kind of psychological and sociological uh, experiment to really understand what people are looking for. And, I was going to ask you, uh, like, how old are you? I'm 20, I turned 28 last year, so I'll be 29 this year. Okay, um, and are you single? I have been with somebody for four years, and not a lot of people know You're not single, yeah. I'm not single. Um, yeah. We've been together almost four years, and that's actually, I did a podcast the other day, and um, the guests, or the hosts of the podcast were totally out of the loop of what my relationship status is, and they think that because I'm in the dating space that that I have a lot to say about dating personally and well, that's yeah. <laughs> just not as important as you know the other things that I can you know give to uh, a, you know a, a podcast that's either educational or entertainment wise I've got way more fun stories from all the fun daters I haven't necessarily um yeah. had to go through like the same craziness that, that people do but I'm still hypersensitive to it I've got and this is like, this is a big thing for me to take on the vouch role um, because it was a space that I wasn't necessarily super familiar with and hadn't spent a ton, a ton of time on personally. Um, I have a group text of 10 girls and it is as chaotic and crazy as it sounds. Uh, it's muted half the time. Um, and nine of the 10 girls, I'm the only one who's not in a serious relationship, married to having their first babies with or living with someone they met on a dating app. And so that to me said, okay, I... This, this isn't going away. It's becoming even more popular than ever. But I'll be damned if something bad happens to one of the girls that are in that group text. And right. I want them to have, if, they're, if I can help create a safer place for them, both on the physical side and then also just verbal abuse via dating apps is, is as bad as it's ever been. Oh, yeah. So I just said, you know, if I can create something that protects those girls that I love and care about so much, then, then that's something I can, I can vouch for personally and I can, I can stand behind. So I have a question, verbal abuse on dating apps. What I've been married for 21 years. I have no idea what dating, they didn't even have apps yeah. when I was single. It wasn't a thing. So what does that mean? Like what, I mean, people can respond and just say mean things or is what? It's, you know, it's not, it's, you know, dating apps and just social media to, to kind of generalize, they kind of experience the same issues. However, on dating apps particularly, when you've got somebody who's trying to look their best and they're saying, hi, I'm single, for whatever reason, verbal abuse and harassment via dating apps is just, it's gotten a little bit out of control. So much that there are companies like Bumble who are creating, helping to create laws that fine people for sending inappropriate messages or photos. Like that's okay. the fact that we have to have a law that says don't send an unsolicited 
naked photo to somebody says that it happens so much that it has become a large enough problem. And so, I mean, eggplant photo. Yeah. yeah, and it's just you know, it it it, is, it it goes both ways. It's guys and girls, and it's you know, it it hate the the challenge for me in researching this was um, that I found that fifty percent of women experience. Um, some form of verbal harassment or even sexual harassment on dating apps. 50%. That's a mu it's a much smaller number for guys. So if you're telling me that every, you know, one of every two girls that joins a dating app has to sift through that type of nonsense before they find people who are there with good intentions or are positive and kind and respectful, that is what got me fired up about Vouch. I was like, man, we've got to create something that that really does drive a safer experience and, and just makes it, I mean, it's, dating is already hard. You put a screen in front of two people and it dehumanizes us in a little bit. Um, in, in, in a way. And so it's, it's important to us that, you know, I'm sure we'll kind of talk about later, but that vouch reflects real life interaction um, and is less, you know, digital. And I mean, it's, it's more personal despite being more digital. Yeah. And that's what I was going to ask too. Like, so not only the verbal abuse part, but like just the like keyboard warrior, you know, people won't mm -hmm. say anything behind a screen because they're protected. They're not, it's not, it's not an interpersonal exchange. Mm -hmm. I'm not sitting in front of you saying, oh, you're a piece of shit or you're an ugly bitch or you're this or you're that. Like, yeah. And guys are, so it's so funny. This, this podcast episode is so perfect because you're, you've been in a relationship for four years and you didn't meet this person on a dating app. Shapiro has been married for 21 years and I'm actually, um, dating someone that I met on a dating app and all of last year, I think I probably went on like a hundred dates, like mm -hmm. and I met probably 99 of those on dating apps. Yeah. So like, um, it's super interesting that you say that the statistic about the verbal abuse. So yeah. I've, I've actually experienced this, not just on dating apps, but also via LinkedIn. So that's oh, I was going to say LinkedIn. I was going to say if there's anything worse than dating apps, it's LinkedIn. <laughs> I, get, I mean, I, I feel awful. like these guys, like I respect the hustle this much because it's yeah. like, they know that you're, um, that you're a professional and that you have a career, right? But like, they still harass you in the same manner that they would on any other social media platform or dating. Really? So you're, when you say you hate LinkedIn, it's just as bad. People are like reaching out to you guys on LinkedIn oh, and approaching I mean, you. Most of my messages on LinkedIn are, are, <laughs> are, are from men who, who start off saying like, well, I'd love to talk about your work experience. And then it turns into something like well let's meet up for dinner or let's you know it becomes like this prompt to like meet up and hang out and I'm like you know and I and I have no I have no I think I'm old enough now that I kind of just don't care to maybe embarrass one of these guys I, I will say this is this is LinkedIn this is not a dating app if you want to find me you can join Vouch um is what I always joke on these that can't really find me but like was like if you want to find me you can join back. <laughs> this is not a, this is not a place and you reaching out to me like this is disrespectful to me yes. I've worked my butt off I'm a professional um you know and and for you to approach me like this is wildly inappropriate and the thing is and I don't know if you guys have experienced this but it's almost like when when and this is on and off dating apps I think this is just social media in general actually I think real life in general I've found that if you kind of make a guy feel 
embarrassed that they're a lot of times their response is to come back at you really, you know, harshly. And I've, for yeah. girls on dating apps, the rejection factor for guys makes them, you know, not me, it, it, and again, it's not unique to just men, but my poor girlfriends have, have had to deal with the backlash of, you know, well, screw you. You're not cute anyway. When they say, you know what, I'm not, I actually, I'm talking to somebody else. I'm not interested and move on. It's just, right. I don't know. It's, it's not, it's, you know, again, it's not unique to, to just dating apps. I think as mentioned, you know, this key, the keyboard warrior, the virtual side of how we connect to people has taken away some of our ability to feel human and that we're talking to somebody on the other yeah. side. And yeah. uh, you wouldn't do that to somebody. I mean, I, I know there are some people, but I can't imagine these same guys who are, you know, being inappropriate on, on dating apps or on LinkedIn are, would do that to you in a normal setting. They wouldn't cuss no. you out on the street. Yeah, not <laughs> I that. hope not. Would you be exposing yourself on the street? Would you be mm-hmm. showing me yourself, yeah. your physical yeah. self, just on the street because you feel so proud of it or something? No. So why are you sending it to me in a direct message? It doesn't mm-hmm. make any sense. Like, I just don't yeah. <laughs> What do you think yeah. that's going to do for me? Absolutely nothing. Yeah. And yeah. I've, I've had to, I've had to be careful about what type of content I put on a professional site like LinkedIn versus social media. Um, I had somebody message me um, right around the same time. I had this post and for me, it was a lot. It went kind of viral um, on LinkedIn where I basically was calling for LinkedIn to get back to business. My feed had been flooded by, like unrelated content. It didn't have anything to do with professional skills. It was just, I have friends who've been searching for jobs for years and they're having to stand out amongst the bikini videos and the, you know, the no. random stuff that you see. I don't And I so don't, I made this, on I made LinkedIn? this on, on LinkedIn? LinkedIn. I don't know. I if I'm just, I've never seen one ever in 10 years. Yeah. Oh man. That's I've crazy. had to, well, you know, you know how LinkedIn works where like if, if, even if you're not connected to that person, if someone in your network engages with the post, you are exposed to that post. So I think that it's not necessarily people that I follow, it's people within like the second and third degree. Maybe, yeah. And, and if you uh, think about it, I'm a good 20, almost 20 years older than you. So that my network is mm-hmm. by default older. Yeah. For the yeah. Part. They're not, trust me, we ain't posting bikini pics. <laughs> Nor do well, we have anyone in our network. <laughs> well, even honestly, even selfies on LinkedIn, like why would you post a selfie? Yeah, I, I haven't seen that or much of that either. But yeah, why? That's like bizarre. I just feel like it's like what? Like go post yeah. something on Instagram or Facebook or something, you know? If this yeah, is, if that's your intention. But yeah, I've seen some some pretty outlandish things on LinkedIn too. <laughs> There's there are a couple of uh, like LinkedIn like uh, this is when video really took off on LinkedIn where there were these. The guys and girls who would just take advantage of the fact that they could get this following and this viewership and they would just do anything they could to kind of exploit it even though knowing LinkedIn is a professional site you should be talking about work or skills or what you, you know how you're pursuing certain careers and there were these like creators who would just make any you know content that just wasn't actually impactful it was just superficial no type of strategy to it, no type of educational element to it. And I just, you know, when I think about my friends who've been applying for jobs or trying to stand out on LinkedIn, having, you know, to fight through the, the unrelated content, it, it's just not fair to them. And so I did this, I did this post and for context, I get maybe like a thousand views on anything that I, that I do on LinkedIn. It got a hundred and like 60,000 
Oh my gosh. I remember. Yeah. And people, it was like, it was 90% people saying, I agree with you. I can't believe that this is what we've come to. And then the other 10% were guys just blowing my stuff up saying, um, you know, I was wearing a shirt that said power suit on it and it's a t-shirt and I like that it's ironic (laughs) because it's just a shirt and strength comes from within it doesn't have to be from a power suit is how it felt and these guys just were like well screw you you're not dressed professionally anyway you're wearing a t-shirt under a blazer and I'm like all this stuff I just remember thinking like you guys would never say this in real life you would never come up to me and say you know screw your t-shirt and blazer like that's like the uniform of startup communities (laughs) I was just like all right you know uh it was just it was it's just kind of amazing how uh, people have um, I don't want to say change, but it's kind of amplified people, you know, just kind of insensitive behavior. Mm-hmm. Well, they're insensitive because they're so um, courageous because they're not yeah. in front of anyone. There are no consequences, really. Other than, you know, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. There's zero yeah. consequences. Nope. Yep. And that, and that's, that goes right back to vouchers. When you invite friends to vouch for you, much like having professional references, we hope that you not only represent yourself more accurately, but you're held more accountable for the things that you send. You know, I have done polls and so much research about, you know, if you knew that I had co-signed off on, you know, you know, I've got a, a great friend who's just really well known and has a lot of good friends and has just really tried to find the right person. I vouch for him and my, you know, my name shows up on his profile. What I say about him shows up on his profile. And I asked him one time, I was like, do you feel any level of like commitment to me to, to be your, you know, the best version of you? And he was like, I think about that all the time. I think, you know, if, would Christiana appreciate how I'm talking to this girl? I've, I've put my name on him. I've, I've basically said, this guy's great. Hope you have a great experience. Yeah. Um, and he goes, I, not that I ever would really, you know, not that I struggled with that to begin with, but I have this like extra desire to want to make sure that I make you proud and you know I don't know that that's the same case for everybody but that's exactly what we're you know we want people to be held more accountable and if you're going to join a dating app like vouch and you have bad intentions chances are you're not going to have anyone vouching for you or if you're yeah. married um someone Ooh, asked me that the other day like you're married you I forgot about that that's if true that's a good element to that is seeing like who's going to vouch for you if you're married <laughs> Well, maybe you're doing it too. I don't know. Oh gosh, I you know, but that's exactly that's exactly right. Like someone, you know, someone said, well, um, what if someone married joins the app? I'm like, well, I don't know your, I can't block you from for being married. You know, you can do whatever you want to do. But are you gonna invite your neighbors that came over for like the barbecue on Sunday to vouch for you? Like, who's gonna be vouching for you? And so the data on the other end sees that. You'll see someone who's got. 20 really great vouchers and you see the people who have zero and so our users are kind of trained um to look for that much like not to make light of like i'm not comparing people to you know vouch to the yelp people but if you go to a restaurant um or you buy a product and it has zero reviews zero stars zero insight you're probably going to lean more towards the one that has at least yeah. five or six or 20 mm-hmm. or, you know i'm guilty of that on even just amazon i'll buy the product that's got four point yeah, me too. Stars, but 10,000 reviews versus the one five star review. Because I'm like, who's yeah. mom got paid to write this one review? <laughs> yeah, I'm the same. Yeah, I did the same thing. So, so that's kind um, of how the vouch mentality that's what we aim for. Yeah, so is vouch like na- nationwide? Yeah, it, um, it's actually co founded by um, Sean Lowe, who is reported as being kind of the most popular and most valuable face to ever come out of the 
the Bachelor franchise. I was going to say, the Bachelor. Show. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. um, he joined up with the team to roll out this product. And this was um, back in uh, 2017, actually. And they did this big national rollout. And um, they had a very non-technical team putting together a dating app that relies heavily on technology and very quickly realized, okay, we've got this great face. We've got this beautiful brand. Oh my God, the product needs a lot of work. So yeah. my job was to kind of roll back um, in time and basically make a lot of product fixes to make it easier to use, to make it available for everybody. Um, we added in some features that make it just a little bit more dynamic to, to play around with and then relaunched it when I joined the team. So around April, May of last year, we kind of did a whole new relaunch um, and really took a more hyper-localized approach. So we really focused on Dallas and New York where our teams are kind of at. Okay. And naturally, that's where we have the biggest usership, usership and user base are in those areas. Um, rather than taking the kind of blitz approach that, that Tinder did um, many years ago, which if I look up 75, I can see Match.com, which owns a bunch of the really popular brands. Yeah. Um, what they had to do was they grew so fast, which was wonderful, but they then had to take steps back to say, oh, oh gosh, now we've got to implement safety features. Like they're just now really emphasizing, you know, emergency alerts and, you know, all these things to keep their users safe. Um, yeah. So rather than, than grow too fast, we've really focused on quality growth. Um, but yes, we're available. I mean, you can download the app anywhere. I can't always promise that someone in remote Wyoming is going to have someone to match with, but we're focused on really high quality um, localized growth so that people can have plenty of options. So um, Dallas and New York, biggest presence in Dallas and New York. Mm -hmm. um, and would you say that Vouch obviously versus, okay, and this is for Shapiro too, because she's not well versed in dating apps. So Tinder or dating or dating. Or dating. Or dating. Or dating. <laughs> um, so Tinder would be considered more of your hookup app, right? That's going to be something that, which like uh, Christiana was mentioning, you know, that people don't really do their homework or research before, you know, even maybe getting into bed with someone, which we're very much in that, in the prime of that, like hookup culture. Hookups have always been a thing. Every, you know, that there's a reason why they have the term one night stand. So Hookups have always been there. People have always been able to go to a bar, pick up something from a bar, get drunk, take them home, sleep with them, whatever, right? However, and the quarantine is kind of cool because we're actually, we have a shelter in place, so we're not supposed to be dating or hooking up with people. I can't tell you what to do, whatever. But <laughs> so with Tinder, this is more of a, a hookup app. So, you know, a lot of people that go onto Tinder are looking for more of a hookup versus, you know, a meaningful relationship doesn't mean that meaningful relationships don't come from Tinder. That's just not what you're looking for when you go on Tinder. Um, Bumble, and this is from someone who's been in the online dating space, Bumble would be a, a good mix of the two. I think that um, most people like to go to Bumble because Tinder can sometimes be um, just not as meaningful of, you know, conversations or interactions. So maybe you go to Bumble you know, maybe when you're fresh off of a breakup or you've been single for a little while and maybe you want to hook up, maybe you want a relationship, you don't really know what you want. Um, Hinge has the uh, 
the reputation of being more for relationships. More people are on Hinge because they want a relationship. Now, there are always your outliers. There are always guys who are going to go to relationship type apps who want to hook up and girls vice versa. Um, where would you say, and then you have your eHarmony and your match.com, which those match actually owns Hinge, right? Hinge, Tinder, OkCupid. They, they basically, are, they're the largest dating company in the world. They have it's crazy because their app and their website is so not user-friendly. And the fact that they own these apps that are so user-friendly blows my mind. Well, t Tinder, con you know, consistently is the number one grossing app on the app store. I mean, years and years and years in a row. Like they know that their money, their, their money maker is, is Tinder. Um, I don't know the split of their other revenue streams, but they, they put a ton of energy into creating something for that fast interaction. And, you know, my little sister's getting married. She was supposed to be getting married uh, next month to somebody. She actually met on Tinder four years ago. Yeah. And I think what makes the, the difference between each product is the messaging of the marketing is, is key, but it ultimately falls into the hands of the intentionality of the user. Sure. Um, if you go on to these apps saying, I want to be, you know, I'm looking for something serious. You take it more seriously. You take yeah. your time. You're a little bit more picky. You, you know, I've watched guys. It's so funny. I called, I didn't call him out, but. Um, I really wanted to. I, I really fought hard not to. But I did an investor presentation. This was about a year ago. And it was this huge room. And I walked by. They called my name up. And it was my time to go pitch vouch in front of like 250 people in this venture group. And there's this man sitting. Not man. It was a man. Um, he was probably like mid-20s. And he's swiping Right, 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 right. And I'm like, what is this man doing? I was like, is he sending emails? You know, he's, swiping through, he's swiping through Tinder. <laughs> And he's not even stopping. He's like looking at me. He's looking around and he's just trying to just get as many, I guess, potential matches as possible. That's not the type of person that if you're going in for a serious, you're, you know, you're being intentional with it. You don't get you're reading the profiles. And yeah. yeah, you're looking at the photos. You're like trying to figure out, do they have a dog? Is reading their comments. Reading yeah. <laughs> their likes. They're just like, see, but the problem yeah. is, and this is where I feel like Vouch is supreme versus other apps is that you don't know you don't know if the person that you're speaking to is one of those super swipers that just swipes on everybody who's looking to, for someone to hook up with because there are manipulators whether they're whether they're women or men they can you know put on a good mask they can put on a good show they can pretend like they care about what you're saying and then as soon as they get what they want they leave they're out they bounce like and if you have, if you're vouching, so it's, I had a recent experience with someone that we actually had on our podcast, John Bros. I introduced him to one of my friends and I said, listen, <laughs> I'm vouching for you. You better be on your best behavior because I have talked you up to this woman and I really mm -hmm. like her and she's someone that I consider a friend. So like, this is not someone that you just get to go you like behave yourself. Yeah. yeah. You have to let. Bring your best self to the table. And I feel like with the ultimate part of vouch is that people are able to vouch for you. You know, mm -hmm. whether you decide to live up to those expectations or those validations is up to you. But yeah. in every other app, you just don't know. I literally had a guy, a friend of a person that I'm on a date with, which 
ironically, like, I don't know how other people do it or whatever. I've actually met a bunch of friends on dating apps, people that I now call friends that I've gone on dates with. I wasn't romantically interested in, but we remain friends. Um, and I went out with these two guys one night and one of them was a guy that I met on Bumble, I think. And his friend told me to my face, because obviously I'm not somebody he's interested in. He was like, oh, I'll, I'll purposely go out with girls from Hinge and Bumble that are looking for relationships because I know that they're not uh, promiscuous. And then I will get what I want. And then I don't ever talk to them again. Wow. Hmm. Winner. Well, <laughs> appreciate the honesty, but also yeah. you can go on your way. You can yeah. see you around. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like, and people will do that all the time. So mm -hmm. I feel like we definitely need something like this in the dating app world. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, I, I tell people, and it's so, so funny, my own friends are like afraid to tell me they're using other dating apps. I'm like, first of all, by all means. Um, and if you're looking for something more casual or you have your own approach to it, we're never, and, I, and this is whether I work for Vouch or not, um, you know, we're not here to judge that. We're just giving you an option that when you're ready to take it more seriously and you feel really comfortable to invite your friends and family to vouch for you, which we know not everyone's going to feel comfortable with. I've got friends, you know, that I adore that, that I love and have been friends with for a long time, but I know what they're like in the dating world. They're not going to ask me to vouch for them. And even if they did, I'd say, well, I, I love you, but you know, you know, you're a player, go do your thing. You know, when you're ready to be serious, I'm going to put my name on, you know, and support you. Yes. Um, and you know, we just, we realized that again, that, you know, there's a lot of, I mean, I can get into the data around dating is that, that most single people who are using dating apps or dating sites use three or four at the same time. Oh, for they sure. They know. They increase they, your odds. Yeah, exactly. And, and truly, you know, I kind of narrowed this down the other day and it, it, it finally has really made sense in trying to say this to people who might not know the industry as well, but know it from a consumer level or not is that all dating apps really are, as much as they want to tell you they're the best in finding compatibility and they're, they're this and they're that, it is purely an introduction tool. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do the magic for you once you mm -hmm. connect. It's all up to the user. It is much like LinkedIn or even groups like the Dallas Girl Gang, a virtual Facebook group where you can connect with people. It's just allowing you to virtually brush shoulders with people you just normally wouldn't. Right. Um, you know, LinkedIn gives me the chance to meet people who I've never met in person, like you guys, and give us the opportunity to connect and, and collaborate on something. And um, that's really what dating apps are. You know, you can set your radius to whatever, you can set your preferences to whatever, um, you can get real specific, but ultimately it's, a, it's my job is to help introduce you to great people. Your job is to, to be intentional if that's what you're, you know, you're looking for something serious or be upfront that you're going to be more casual about it. Yeah. And, and that's something that, um, you know, it's funny, we've done so much research. Guys and girls have very interesting concerns. And my background is actually in healthcare. And what I, what I ultimately figured out was that my daters and my patients don't really ask for different things. They're asking for the same thing. Yeah. Um, for the longest time, I was like, I'm not going to know anything about dating, you know, user experience, what consumer preferences are, I'm not going to get it. And then it turns out my daters and my, my patients are asking you for the same thing together um and they just want you know guys are really concerned that it's it's misrepresentation they're afraid that women are going to show up either looking 10 years older than their photo or fatter or, 
or yep. they're not themselves or they're not themselves i have brilliant friends who've been catfish and they're smart they're smart guys but they were so excited and they just kind of skipped over the, like the the, the steps of like yeah, yeah. because what is just- catfish what does that mean so when when i falsely represent myself by sending photos that are not me oh mm-hmm. yeah okay oh there's a whole, a whole show around. Well, what's <laughs> the show point of that like I don't even understand like if you're supposed to meet somebody you're not understand like what the goal is there it all it all varies I think there's a part of it that's a little bit of a A psychological issue and then there's a whole other part of it (laughs) that is for fun esteem issues or something or it's fun or they're trying to get over on someone but for the most part and that catfishing along with misrepresentation because like that you know women will send a photo that's 10 years old or when they're 30 mm-hmm. pounds skinnier or whatever. Mm-hmm. And my question is, you're going to show up. That's what I'm like. I don't understand. <laughs> you don't the think that these way. people are going to notice that you're yeah. heavier than your photos? Or 10 years older? <laughs> and that, and that, and that goes back to, you know, if they're serious about it, then they know that. And, yeah. um, you know, or they just hope that they, that's something that's overlooked. That's a concern for guys and girls. Actually, we did a whole poll where we asked girls what their biggest pet peeves were when it came to dating. Yeah. And like, this is more like the fun, like, not safe. We were like, we know that safety is your number one concern. And that's that's yeah. how guys and girls differ. Girls are worried that they might get thrown into a back of a van after a date. Guys are not worried we're going to kidnap them. They're worried that we're going to show up and not be ourselves or be <laughs> other things. Yeah. Like, guys, you know, as a wow. small kidnappable person, I think about this all the time. Guys are like, whatever, as long as she's not overly filtered in real life. Um, yeah, they're like, yeah, every, every guy posts on his profile on his dating app, like, stop using filters. It's not your real face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, ser- and seriously, and you're seeing that called out in bios now more than ever, which is funny. But girls are saying that that hat fishing is the thing that they're worried about where a guy if he has every photo is him wearing a hat he's balding and doesn't want to tell anyone about it and I was you know I thought oh my gosh I've never (laughs) I've never been worried about that and they're like if he shows you know every time if he's got a hat in every photo he's balding and I was like (laughs) is that a problem they just wish he would tell us yeah, yeah okay. it's not that they care about it. It's just they're trying to cover it up. Or, or the guy that has a group photo, you know, for every photo, um, girls are always worried, like, well, why? You know, why don't you have any pictures by yourself? Or yeah. you know, are you even in this photo? And it's really Is it possible right? for being a little too judgmental? <laughs> I mean, it, it, wow. the, challenge is, the challenge is if they only have, like, a bunch of group photos, like, you're trying to, first of all, identify which person he is. Because you have no idea. Because if you have a group, if you have three to five people in a photo of every photo, okay, which one is it? So then you have to identify. It goes, it's kind of like uh, psychology and biology. You have to identify. I was thinking about the, like, the guy who wants to wear a hat. I mean. Oh, yeah, it, that's, that's super judgy. Sure he's covering up his balding, but, you know, it probably, it's kind of scary, I would think, to, to get on a, an app and put yourself out there and you're going balls, and you don't, I mean, you're not super proud of that, so you throw a hat on, because it makes you feel a little bit better for your profile. I don't know. I just feel like that's awfully judgmental. You're so nice, Shapiro. I'm just like, I don't understand that mentality. It's it's really interesting, because we we try to talk about this. Like, we don't want people to focus on the photo on vouch. What what is different about ours is that, yes, we we know that the, the 
physical attraction is super important to people. But what we want Vouch to be able to do is to take the focus away from from the photo, maybe. Yeah. Um, I have this, yeah. this wonderful, I have a wonderful story that I will never forget and it's what fuels me every day is um, I have a really wonderful friend who he actually has a, a bit of a birth defect and has like kind of almost closed ears and he's very self-conscious about it. Um, super brilliant guy, but he, you know, is just really soft-spoken, really quiet, doesn't put himself out there as much. And um one of my friends the other day messaged me and said, I found so-and-so on, on vouch and not so normally somebody I would swipe right on. He doesn't really fit my normal criteria, but I saw what you said about him and his dedication mm -hmm. to causes and people and who he is to you. And that made the difference between, you know, me going for the loud mouth, rambunctious guy who I always date, who always messes everything up and going for somebody who is more soft-spoken. I mean, what I said about him was, you know, he is quiet, but he means the best and has a great heart for causes and work and people and literally the first person to volunteer for anything that I do. And they went on a date because not because of a photo, not because of the bio, but because of what I said about this guy. And, yeah. and that is, I almost wish we could take photos out of it entirely. I think it's silly that we focus on those things. But I also realize it's important to people. So I don't want to blind them to that because I know that that can be special. But, you know, if you look at how to create a vouch profile right now, it's very lean. And I've had feedback, you know, people have written comments and, and app store reviews saying, well, I want to sort someone based on height and race and religion and all those things, which I know are important to some people. But if I make race a focal point of my app, that means that I think that that is more important than who someone is. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, and, and I'm just not willing to do that. So we're going to keep it pretty lean and, you know, focus on the vouchers and the meaningful kind of connections that, you know, what the positive things that people are talking about, all these other things I had no context or clues about. It's just more that I've learned that, that people have had these really kind of unique and almost kind of insane experiences on dating apps because they're, it unlocks the capability for you to talk to 20,000 people if you wanted to. And that's mm -hmm. not normal. That's not, no. that's not real life. Not real so, because if you're no, meeting in real life, think about how many people do we actually meet in real life in one mm -hmm. month? Yeah. Maybe yeah. three new people, maybe? Like, yeah. and how would you, you know? Yep. And not everybody yeah. is as outgoing as me. I'll talk to anybody. I'll talk to everybody. I'll talk to somebody at the coffee shop or at the car wash or whatever. But even in having those interactions, that doesn't mean that that's going to result in a date. Yeah. 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 So, you know, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, we, we really dug so deep into, um, you know, what is meaningful for people. And as, again, as people who don't have necessarily the dating expertise, we have some really fantastic people on our team that come from Tinder, who come from Match, and they've helped us. I mean, what they have working for them that is definitely a kind of edge up on us is they've got millions of people's data and information and preferences across all of their apps. And we just have ours. So if they're, you know, if Match is smart, then they're taking all this feedback and they're looking at who their demographics are and they're looking for cultural differences and they're able to spin out new products based on that. What we have to do a good job of is listening to what the, you know, kind of industry landscape is telling us, but then ultimately listen to our users. Yeah. And that's the benefit of being a startup is startups to me aren't necessarily about how big your team is um, or how much money you have or how many years you've been in business it's about the mentality and it's if someone told me well pictures don't matter to me but what a voucher says then if I really wanted to I could take the pictures out 
we're nimble and agile enough that we could take out if enough people told me vouch is a dumb name let's change it and it was backed by data i would do it and we have the ability to do that and yeah. so that's you know i've i've haven't necessarily been out of college for a long time, but every company I've worked with has been a startup of some sort. And the startup mentality has been so important to me. And that's, you know, that's something I do love about Vouch is I listen to people all day long and get their feedback. And from my friends, but we've got, you know, almost 30,000 users almost right here in Dallas that we can listen to them and, and hear their concerns. I was gonna ask you that. Shapiro, what were yeah. you gonna ask? I was just gonna ask about your career specifically. Like how did yeah. you become the CEO of a startup at the age of 28? Like what's that trajectory? How did you how did you get on that path? Yeah. It um it's a crazy story and it, it never feels um less weird trying to explain it because I get, you know, it's weird for me. I get that it's even weirder for other people. If you look at my if you look at my LinkedIn kind I'm of looking timeline, at it right now. I just um, pulled jobs. it up on my phone. It starts. So not not even real what six years ago I was working as an ER scribe. Yep. I was like 2011 you were a tutor. <laughs> yeah. And then okay, so college. 2013 you're an emergency department scribe. And then from there mm -hmm. family health on call. Mm -hmm. And then reshape life sciences you're a bdm mm -hmm. so you did sales there in california um and then i guess you moved back to dallas or were you always in dallas i was travel i travel so i this dallas has always been my kind of hq but um okay. reshape and some of those allowed me to to split time between california and some other places okay and then you're the owner of currency strategies events mm -hmm. and then co-founder of the millennial gala and then now the ceo of vouch weird story weird, i love weird. it i love it <laughs> um uh, so i actually went to college um with the entire like my only goal was to become a physician i've always loved surgery i like to sew and i've always preferred to hand sew instead of um uh, using a machine and so that's been something since middle school and high school that i loved and so i'm actually really great at hand stitching so i had a teacher one time who said well you know, fashion's really hard to make it in, but have you ever thought about being a surgeon? How does my oh, class that's 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 super easy. Surgery. <laughs> I was like, no. Um, and so I just, I never really in, in high school didn't necessarily have an interest in, in the sciences. I thought, well, maybe I'll be interested in business. I, I don't know. And then I had a really fantastic teacher in my, my senior year who for the first time made me feel really confident in how good, um, I could be, and, and not just not just me, but she was just, just a fantastic teacher to, to begin with, but really empowered me to pursue science as a career, which no one had really, other than like the kind of joke about being a surgeon, um, had never really encouraged me in, a, in that way to feel really confident about my, my science skills. And I took this anatomy and physiology class and I fell in love with it. It was the first class I'd kind of breezed through. So all through college, I had my eyes set on, on medical school and um, which I which I just loved so much um, the whole scientific process and and doing things around physiology and anatomy, and um, so yeah I went all four years biology and chemistry. Um, I really wanted to be a surgeon um, or ER physician. I kind of toggle between the two, um, and ultimately it's not really up to you. You kind of get put in certain places, but. Um, I, I learned sign language in high school and college, um, a couple of versions that are meant for um, deaf patients, but also blind and deaf patients, which requires a whole nother type of sign language, which is done in the hands. Obviously, they can't see you, um, so you have to do everything really tactically and, hand, you know, um, holding hands. And 
I had some friends who were both blind and deaf and deaf, and something that always stood out as an issue for them was being able to go to the doctor or the dentist. Um, a lot of times, imagine you know you're you're going through something that's really personal, um, and you're having to bring your mom, your sister, your brother, an interpreter that you don't even know to to communicate for you. And um, that was something that I just hadn't as a as a seeing and hearing person. I never thought about the deaf community. Um, I always want to sign. The deaf I know, community. I'm like, can you just keep um, signing? Because that's awesome. <laughs> the deaf community. Um, you know that that was culturally something I just hadn't ever considered. And so um, that was another uh, passion of mine. Was I want to be a physician and maybe one of the only in Dallas to be able to cater to the deaf community and the blind community, or both. And um, so actually in the ER, I got to. Part of my job was scribing, which is basically, I mean, think thousands of years ago, the scribes were taking notes. Yeah. Um, that was my job um, in the ER. And, um, but then I was uh, available for interpreting, which um, Fort Worth actually has a big population of deaf um, you know, people. Um, so it was really, at Fort Worth, DFW and just in general has a, has a high population. So it was such an honor to be able to write a solution um, for those for those patients, even just on a light front, to say, you know, you've been in a car accident, it's traumatic, it's crazy, it's hectic. They could sit and look at me and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. And then I could tell the physician, yes, they were wearing their seatbelts, someone has elbow pain, you know, she has diabetes, she doesn't have insurance, you know, these things that they could have waited hours to get, you know, interpreter or, you know, it, it just was, a, it was a solution I was really proud to be able to, or uh, an opportunity I was really proud to have. Um, and at the same time, I realized that um, being a physician is not only difficult, but is very political and very complicated, um, especially in an ER setting. So we had patients, deaf patients and hearing patients who would say, how much is this gonna cost me? And they'd look at me as the scribe, thinking I'm there documenting how much it's going to cost them when really I'm just there charting you know, the encounter. You're like, um, I had nothing to do with that. <laughs> yeah, so, and then I realized the physicians don't have a clue. They don't have any clue because that's not their job. Um, and it's not readily, it's, it's not their job, but it's also not transparent enough to them what anything is going to cost. Yeah. And um, so I had patients sometimes decline life-saving interventions, medications or surgery or things because they simply were afraid about how much it was going to cost them. And, and that's like, how do you a legitimate fear? Um, wow. and, and that's something that it, it hit me in a different way where I thought, you know, I'm so my family's in the military and been in the military. And we've always been really lucky to have TRICARE, which is, you know, known to be really, you know, really great insurance. I hadn't again, much like I hadn't considered how my deaf friends and, you know, engaged with the medical community. I hadn't really thought about what it meant to be uninsured or underinsured or, someone who doesn't speak English and is confused about how much something's going to cost them or speak perfect English and still doesn't know what an x-ray is going to cost. And, yeah. um, and so that, it really stuck with me. And I had physicians that I worked with who said, you know, look, if you're interested in anything else, um, do it now. Don't be 50 and try to start over your business career. Um, even though people have done it and have done it, done it successfully, they said, it's just so much harder when you have so a family hard. and debt. Yeah. And um, yeah. so they kind of got me, yeah, they kind of got me thinking about um, what other things I might be interested in. And I got really lucky to be placed in an ER in Plano, where I met an ER physician who had been working on a, a mobile product um, that had the kind of calendar integrations. It was very interesting. 
And um, ultimately, he invited me to join the team behind Mend, which was an on-demand urgent care company. Yeah. And um, it was very Uber-like at the time where you could process. Is it similar to Urgent Care to Go, where they have, like, mobile? Yes. Okay. Yes. So when we, when we launched, um, you know, and, and obviously the reasons behind me joining the team are very clear. I was really passionate about providing convenient, affordable care to these yeah. patients. Yeah. When, no matter what your handicap might be, no matter if you're blind or deaf, no matter where you're from, we wanted to provide a solution. And um, there's a dock in the box or urgent care in every corner, but that's still for two busy professionals like you guys, how many hours of your day does it take to oh, either wow. take your kids yeah. Um, you know, one healthy kid, one sick kid, everyone goes to the emergency room or to the waiting room. Um, there wasn't an option that felt like it was putting patients can meet, you know, the timing and the cost of it. It wasn't considered. I just didn't yeah. feel like it was built, built for the patients. And that's not to say these places don't offer fantastic clinical care. It's just more so, you know, I don't have a primary care. I don't have any ongoing, you know, medical needs. I'm not on any medications. If I get sick, it's normally the one wicked bad sinus infection I get a year, and I know I need antibiotics and a steroid. Well, my thing you is, like, too, I've called those urgent care places, like, I think I've used them twice or three times, just for mm-hmm. me, because I know that I get kidney infections, so I know I need a shot, yeah. and I need some antibiotics, and that's it. And I need somebody mm-hmm. to come and give me a shot. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> so why do you need to be charged thousands of dollars for lab work? Why do you need to go wait somewhere? Why do you have to mess around with paperwork? Right. You know? And so we created this option um, called MEND. And um, we were the second, well, I guess we were the third in the country to have a product like this. And it's funny because it wasn't anything groundbreaking necessarily. It was like the old school doctor house call you know, the milkman used to deliver it. Now it's funny. Everything's delivered now, but five years ago, it was still <laughs> yeah, very know. like, what are people doing? I can have healthcare at home and now I can get my eyebrows done at home. It, it's well, not right now, but hopefully. In the future. <laughs> um, hopefully soon. <laughs> hopefully soon. And um, it was just kind of amazing that, that people were almost, it was almost too good to be true to them. Like, so you're saying that if I've got two kids with the flu, you can come to my house, you can test them for the flu. If they don't have the flu, but they have something else, you can give us the first dose of medication and then deliver our prescriptions afterwards. And I'm not going to get 27 bills after this. Like, yes. And you no. can charge me one flat rate because you don't have to bill my stuff to either insurance or even right. if you do bill to insurance, like I get to pay you a one-time flat fee. I know right. I paid that company like $70 each time and they did not accept mm-hmm. insurance because mm-hmm. it was just too much of a hassle. Like, yep. yeah. So when, when we launched that, my, my, role kind of evolved it was you know hey you're a young person who uses apple apps all the time you know w- what matters to you and kind of helping develop like what the messaging and marketing could be and then the other part was you know how do we get this out there for people to know about and so i took on this marketing role and also because i was so sensitive to the patient experience of what how awful it could be at the er could i offer something better and make sure the physicians and providers when they walk into your home that you feel safe um and it was really fascinating because people, you know, when Jim for, from Direct TV comes to install your TV, do you ask him if he's background checked or credentials? No. You're just Only asking that he gets his, you know, you hope yeah. that Direct TV is doing their job to make sure that you're safe. And so when people, we told people we could bring in trained clinical providers, they said to us, you know, how do, how do I know? How do I trust them? I'm like, well, here's the database, their background check, everything was stored so you could see it. And 
it was trying to address those needs. We had a menu of items that you could choose from if you needed even a, a laceration repair, which, you know, we did a bunch of, you know, research around how much that would cost in the ER, hundreds if not thousands of dollars. We had a flat fee. If you had a non-limb threatening, what we said, if your arm's not gonna fall off, your leg's not gonna fall off before we get there, then you could call us. Um, and, you know, a, a laceration this big would cost $3,000, $2,000 at an ER or urgent care, um, would cost you 175 with us. And we'll give you your, your tetanus shot, your, if you need antibiotics, the wound care, all of that. And um, it was really fascinating. So we launched that in, in March of 2015. And by December of 2015, we had sold 51% of that company to Children's Health, which wow. uh, a partnership like that had, had never been done. Um, and we knew that we, we got their attention because we had a really strong brand. Um, we had significant traction. I don't want to say we kind of, you know, we exploded and we were seeing 25 patients a day. It wasn't like that. But we had shown consistency, traction. We had a strong team. Um, we had gotten recognized uh, by the startup community and in the clinical community as well. We had the best providers on our team, um, recurring patients. We, if we took care of one family, they called us again five times. Um, so we never want to. Yeah. Yeah. And so we, we never saw that a patient who had experienced our service said, oh, I'd much rather go wait in an urgent care, or I'd much rather go sit at a, you know, yeah. old ER. No um, one's going to say that, no. Yeah, not when no. I get concierge care, like, not doing yeah. that. <laughs> and it, it just made people feel like, you know, even though we weren't, I always joke, you know, Jesus made house calls. I wasn't doing, we weren't doing anything groundbreaking. Um, we were just taking the care that you deserved and packaging it up in a, you know, uber-like fashion and making it easy and convenient and transparent for you to, to utilize. And um, it really blew people away. They were really fascinated. And it was my first time to kind of get recognized in the startup community. I went from not knowing a damn thing about any, I didn't even know what startups were. Um, someone was like, oh, you involved in the startup world. And I was like, what, what are we starting up? Start startup who, like, I didn't, like start my car? What are you talking about? Yeah, it didn't make any sense to us. We all came from the, you know, the ER, literally working overnights. I had three jobs at any given time, and I worked overnights in order to be able to, to accomplish another, um, to make money. And, um, and so it was just really a, a catapult into the business world where I took, you know, I, I hear it, I still hear it in my head. My, my MCAT scores are good for five more years. So if I want to go back to medical school, I've got five years to do it. Um, but those physicians telling me, hey, if you have any other interest or you're passionate about anything else, go do that. And I think about that every day. Do you um, think that either, like any of them were telling you that from, from their experience? Oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of them were in their, you know, 50s and 60s who were thinking, okay, I want to cut back on my hours at the emergency room. I want to go start a company or I want to have an, a bread and breakfast somewhere, or bed and breakfast. I want to have a... Yeah. You know, other ventures and then they just realized how hard it was I, I know it was a hundred percent from from experience um, yeah. yeah and that's and that's why I, I trusted that and kind of I don't want to say turned my back on on right. the communities that I want I mean I felt very guilty about that for a very long time I thought you know am I leaving that's behind what to do yeah yeah am I leaving behind my patients who deserve to have a, a physician who can interpret for them or you know, was I turning my back on healthcare? But I, I wanted to be part of the decision makers that could provide these options on a large scale. Yeah. Um, on the busiest day, and I worked at Medical City Dallas, 
on the busiest Monday night, we would see 60 patients per physician. That's a lot. Um, but that's the most you could do. That's really the most. And on average, like 30, 40 patients. Scale. You want to scale. Exactly. That was something I thought, well, I could, you know, I could provide solutions on a larger scale. And could I actually end up hiring providers who are fluent in sign languages and let them go to someone's home? Um, So it wasn't entirely abandoning that side of it. Um, It was more, I recognized this opportunity to take it to a larger level. And, um, and I just took advantage of that. And I had to kind of swell, not swallow my pride, but I had to tell my parents, hey, I'm, I'm not going to go to medical school. I'm about to join this startup where it could crash and burn or Fail. something great, have a job something great to come out of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's you know, so funny, too, because it's like on so many different levels of everything, because you said so much, right? And Shapiro and I have had this conversation multiple times, and I actually had this conversation with Matt, my boyfriend from Bumble, uh, and I was talking about, and um, Kimberly posted something on uh, LinkedIn about things that we learn in school, and it's so well, funny. I stole that from you. Yeah, but it's so <laughs> funny on Instagram <laughs> because there's so many different levels and facets of you know. It, let's take both healthcare and politicians, right? I feel like mm-hmm. some people enter the world of public servant servitude, politics as like that they do genuinely want to help people, but it is Mm -hmm. so political that you can't Mm -hmm. necessarily help people the way you wanted to help people. Same with Mm -hmm. it is so political. You have to play the game. And if you don't know anything about the game to play it, how much of an impact are you actually going to have? And it's like, that goes back to sort of like similar to what the physician said. Like if there's something else that you want to do, like Mm -hmm. there's something else you could be doing because know that even though you're entering the world of making a lot of money and and having an impact on your patients too and being financially stable there are also other things that you could be doing should your passions lie elsewhere like yeah. and i think as a nation which this is sort of a rant but whatever it's the podcast is what we do i think as a nation we should be and can be so much better at identifying people's strengths and mm-hmm. embracing those strengths and strengthening those strengths. And then, I mean, even strengthening the weaknesses, but like, why is it that we're not like embracing the things that we're really good at? Even as, as like- Or let's start with identifying what we're really did, good yeah, at. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Even as like elementary as like identifying what we're good at from a very young age and then honing in and strengthening those things so that we could be better when we get older. I mean, it's sort of like our education system right now. Well, if you're not really good at five years old at sitting at a desk and (laughs) and writing properly, then you're going to be a bad student and you're always going to be deemed as a bad student. Like, really? What? Well, I've got a question too. So when they, when the physicians were telling you, go do, before you decide this is what you want to do, this is the lane you want to be in, go do something different or something else if you've got that desire were they saying go do that and then and then go to medical school or are they just saying don't don't do this you don't want to do this I regret it every day no they weren't they weren't talking me out of healthcare as a whole they were just saying that if there's you, so you those know, wild oats in from a business perspective yeah. just like if you want to do something different go do that and then come back and they just, you know, they said if you're if you're a dynamic person and you have interest anywhere else and you have the opportunity. So that's not yeah. to say that like 
you know, I got, I'm not, not handed, but I worked hard to, to put myself in a position to have these opportunities to connect with that position. And, you know, the difference, and I, I always, and I'd be so curious from a staffing side and a hiring, you know, I haven't had to hire hundreds of people or um, even sift through hundreds of resumes. You know, if you had looked at my resume at that time, I'd worked at Outback Steakhouse. Um, I was an online tutor. I helped roll out a virtual tutoring, tutoring program and I had been in school. And that's about it. And uh, other than working in the ER, and yeah. you know, the physician that I that I worked with, there were two things that really played a factor in me getting. I, I could be in medical school right now if two things hadn't happened. One, I hadn't spoken up and said, "Hey, I don't have all of the experience, but I'm the demographic you want to talk to. Um, I'm fast. I'm a fast learner. I blame my Mexican genes where I want to roll up my sleeves and get dirty and help out, and I'm willing to work." for little to no money because I'm just desperate for these opportunities. And I said, well, how can I help you? That was one thing is speaking up and saying, you know, not being intimidated by the fact that I sold blooming onions for four years through college um, and and not being intimidated by that to, to not speak up. And then the second thing is when he recognized what my personality and not what my skills on paper looked like, but more who I was in the ER. I sat down with every kid, anytime there was a kid in the ER, I spent special time and attention making sure that they were okay. Um, how I treated my deaf patients, how I treated my Spanish speaking patients, how I interacted with the staff and how I wanted to be a team player. And those were things that if he hadn't recognized that in me and I also hadn't spoken up, I would have met, there were plenty of other scribes in that ER. It wasn't like I was the only one. And it wasn't like I was the only one working with him. There were like nine. Um, but I'm the only one who got the, the really incredible opportunity to pursue that, oppor- you know, that, that pathway. Yeah. And when, you know, I would talk to the other physicians, like, you know, I had spent money and time. I hadn't had any fun through college because I'd worked so hard, um, and trying to save up money. And, and, you know, I didn't have like the standard college go- I think I went to a football game and that was after I graduated. Like I didn't have the standard college experience and, um, I'd worked so hard and, and I thought to myself, like, am I really going to take this crazy chance for the startup and throw away the hundreds of hours of studying and hundreds of sleep, you know, however many sleepless nights and all the gray hair I had from not sleeping and uh, in, in working overnights in the ER to, to try and survive. And was I really going to put, you know, throw that all behind me and just take this crazy leap? And um, I looked at the alternative. I looked at what these physicians were telling me. I could be 40, 50, year, you know, 50 years old and having this epiphany that I want to do something different. And by then, I owe my family, you know, uh, you know I have financial responsibility. I've got children. Um, if I was lucky, I you know, have a you know, uh, husband and, you know, my family relies on me. And now I'm going to throw this, you know, put this behind me and try and start something new. Yeah. And um I think it was kind of, it's two things. It was they, they were saying healthcare is always going to be here. Um, and truly, I mean, until we all turn into robots, we're always going to need clinical care. Um, I've been watching a lot of Westworld lately. So, um, <laughs> uh, but until we, you know, that will perpetuate for as long as we have uh, civilization and, and people. And so I, I could take this crazy chance and, have that opportunity and maybe it blows up in my face and maybe it doesn't and it and it didn't it it kind of blew up in the best way it you know we got to go through this multi-million dollar acquisition as a bunch of hooligans who've never <laughs> been in the startup <laughs> community or or in business 
Um, and, and then, you know, we partnered with children's, which that had never been done. Um, and it was hard. Um, I compare it to, you know, riding your own jet ski and cruising through the waves, doing your own thing as a startup, and then trying to turn the freaking Titanic. Um, collaborating with a corporate entity, a legacy system, and they're a hundred years old. We weren't even a year old. Um, and that was, that was really hard to be honest. That was something, the only time I ever thought like, oh shoot, what did I do? Was when I had to box up my beautiful office in the West End at the Dallas Entrepreneur Center and sit my butt in a cubicle at the children's headquarters on like their corporate tower. It's and I thought, a little oh, less glamorous down. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not as so, pretty uh, deck. <laughs> it, was, it was a really crazy um, transition to think like, okay, I've left the clinical world. I wasn't working. I wasn't even literally, when we did the acquisition, I wasn't allowed to work at uh, the emergency room anymore, but I still, I had still up until that point till we signed the paperwork, I'd actually still been working overnights and, and trying to pick up shifts because just on the off chance that things didn't work out, I wanted to still keep my clinical skills and all of that up to date. And um, until I wasn't allowed to work, you know, I didn't, um, or I or tried to. And uh, it was really interesting to go from that kind of clinical, somewhat corporate world of healthcare to startup mode, all the fun happy hours, meeting all these incredible people like, like Jax. And um, I think I met him when I was, it had to be mend, um, to going back to this like almost, uh, like slow moving corporate pace of, of children's and yeah. um, it was really hard. I ended up leaving a year after um, we sold the company. Um, I got to stay for about a year and then I, I hit a point where I was usually the youngest person in the room. Um, you know, I was being asked of, you know, when are you going to go get your MBA? When are you going to continue? Like it wasn't enough that I helped launch and sell this business. It was, I had to follow the, the kind of, moving up in that in that space and I and I felt a certain level of um and this is I've had I've experienced a little bit it's not only being a young female in a workplace but being a minority female and not having all the same credentials that that my peers had it was hard it was really hard and um it was another another point where I had to put my big my big girl pants on and make a decision do I stay here and sacrifice my creativity and the youthfulness that I have um, in in my innovative thinking and my creative ideas and all these fun things that we could do. Do I let that fade away and lose that or do I leave? And so I, I made a decision to leave. And that was another point where I thought, am I turning my back on my patients yet again to go do something else? And and I had to kind of talk myself out of that. I, I was really lucky to have that opportunity and I had been even lucky enough to get pitched for another company where I'd get to help another whole demographic of, of patients which were part of the obesity epidemic and the you know incredible things that were um, the innovation and technology that was there to actually combat the obesity epidemic was what reshaped was and it was that's what I was know, about taking, to say okay that's what that's what that was reshaped okay. yeah it was uh, yeah I, I got a really cool opportunity from LinkedIn, actually, um, which I thought was a total scam at first because I'd only been scammed before on LinkedIn. Um, and so I got reached out to by the company and said, hey, we, we saw a new segment with you. Um, we really think that we could take your skills and, and apply it to this this kind of new tech we're working on. And um, oh, it was it was a roller coaster of, with reshape. I, I had, a, it was funny, when I first started, I was like the Western uh, field marketing manager. And the West started in Western Pennsylvania. I had like Pennsylvania over. It was insane. I, I had 
I mean, four days a week I was on the road and I had never, I had never experienced that. Um, and, but we were just doing, we were offering a, a solution for patients who aren't um, candidates for surgery and had struggled losing weight on their own. So we were offering a safe, non-invasive procedure um, paired with technology to help them get healthier. And my whole family, um, I have a, my, my whole family is Mexican. Um, that's a big thing that, that the Mexican um, culture struggles with is food and diabetes. a relationship with food, <laughs> diabetes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it, there's obesity is a, a very large, prominent problem in that community. And I had watched lots of family members have issues. And so I hadn't personally um, experienced that. I still think I'm adopted because I don't look like anybody in my family. But um, I had this another time where I had a very personal connection to the patients we were talking to. So I think my skill wasn't necessarily, again, not 10 years of experience, but I put the patient experience before I put anything else. Yeah. And um, it led to me being able to advance through that company. Um, I wasn't even allowed. It was so crazy because once I found out I had clinical skills, they moved me out of field marketing manager, like which I was literally helping people get on TV, news segments, um, you know, social media campaigns to me getting to teach physicians how to do those procedures. Like, yeah, overnight. You went they were from like, oh, to sales. Like, <laughs> yeah. They're like, oh, and then also let's make you a clinical trainer. I mean, I was doing all of the jobs and, um, but that was, that was another time where I could have taken some time off. I could have, you know, gotten right. lazy and yeah. I just fell in love with that team and, and different than my relationship at children's instead of being, um, kind of excluded because of my age or excluded because of my lack of an MBA or whatever it was, or the fact that I had a biology degree and not a degree in marketing or business, um, Reshape embraced me for that and then empowered me to keep moving. And um, it allowed me um, to simultaneously launch and grow Currency and the Dallas Millennial Club, um, which we, you know, in four years had thousands and thousands, thousands of people attend our events. And um, it allowed me to keep my pulse on my kind of vibe on the pulse of the startup community while traveling and so I, I launched those really selfishly to kind of keep in tune with what was happening yeah. on a local level and then what young professionals were paying attention to um because I was on the road constantly people thought I moved to Cal I remember not getting invited to a birthday dinner and I said hey I, um they're I, like know, oh we thought you moved to California and they thought oh, you are always in Laguna. We thought that you lived in California. I was like, no, I'm still here. It was just, you know, it was, it was just shit. I was so disconnected. You're like, and I still want to be invited, okay? Even if I live in it's California. still invite me, even if I don't live here. Um, but it was just, you know, it was a, it was a cool experience to, to be a part of another startup and another acquisition. We actually went through two acquisitions um, as part of that company. And so it was another um, kind of challenging uh, experience to go through that. But again, having currency and having Millennium Club um, be here uh, was my, it was, it was the best way for me to kind of keep a vibe on things and, and vouch as crazy it is, as it is, if I hadn't had millennial clubs and I hadn't had all these other things, I would not be in the position to, to be part of vouch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so how did you, so, so obviously, so you had currency and you had the millennial club. So who mm -hmm. found you for vouch? How did they find you? What was the, like, how did that happen? So, it says on your LinkedIn that like you stopped working for Reshape right in February of the last year. Mm -hmm. I so. literally uh, kind of uh, accepted a kind of exit uh, check, if you will, and accepted the vouch job at the team. Literally, I was sitting at San Martin on McKinney Avenue, uh, the little bakery there, and I basically quit my job or accepted my 
they accepted my resignation and then it offered me the vouch job in the same uh, hour, uh, which was really crazy. Um, so the, it was, I'll make it as short as I can. Um, in starting Millennial Clubs, I got to actually get a vibe on the real estate community and what was happening here. And um, I was connected to Rogers Healy, who yep. um, is I actually went big... to high school with um, Jared Rogers. I don't know. Oh. But he's not the owner. Um, he's, just one of, he's one of the real estate agents, but he works for Rogers Healy. Got it. Okay. Yeah. He, uh, Rogers is this big brand and face, and I had gotten connected to him, and he was like, well, what's your interest in real estate? I was like, uh, if it could be the negatives, it would be the negatives. I don't have any interest in real estate. They're like, I literally don't care. Yeah, literally don't. <laughs> uh, just wasn't something, I mean, I, my family, we've never purchased a lot of homes. I just had no, I didn't understand. Um, now I'm looking at it, I'm like, wow, it would be something to, all of my friends are buying homes right now. They could buy them from me. Um, and so I got connected to him. And then strangely enough, um, I was tagged in a LinkedIn post. I'd done some work with Red Bull. And um, a contact at Red Bull tagged me in a post on LinkedIn from the Vouch team saying, hey, we're about to raise this round of money. We're looking for a dynamic, young, female CEO. And that caught my attention because I thought, oh my God, is this even legal? And I don't think that it is. I'm pretty uh, sure like, that's against the law. <laughs> I said, oh my God, what? I, I thought, oh my gosh, they can't say this. Um, and I was familiar with Vouch because of Sean Lowe. I watched him get married on live TV like six years ago. And so I was yeah. like, oh, I know. I remember them watching this. Like, that's so weird. So I, I invite the founders to an event that I was hosting. That's like my default. Like, well, why don't we just meet at an event? Um, I had Austin, uh, one of the founders, come to an event. And he, I said, you know what? I just want to know what y'all are about. I think it's very interesting that you're calling out for a young CEO. Um, it felt like they were trying to maybe duplicate what, what Bumble had done with Whitney. And, yeah. um, and so I just wanted to kind of call bullshit and say, is this just a big PR play? Or what are you guys doing? And um, but part of me was interested, not because I'd been tagged in this post, but not, I can think to the, I have a screenshot of the actual thing. Not ever in one second did I think that they were tagging me because I thought I would be a good fit. It was like, who's in your network? You know, who can yeah, you introduce yeah. them to? Who do you know? And that's, and that's why I, I, I use someone better than you for sure. Yeah, I was like, not, not me. <laughs> um, and so I, I had them at this event and, you know, I asked them, you know, what they were up to. And I said, so explain to me this, this young CEO thing, this female CEO. And um, in my head, they had one shot to explain to me um, in a, an authentic, genuine way what they were doing. Otherwise, I was kind of going to discount the whole thing. I was going to say, well, yeah, in a completely not sexist way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, they, I mean, he couldn't have handled it in a more genuine fashion. He said, well, I'm, you know, a 30 something white male. I've never experienced my concerns about physical safety on a dating app. I've never been nervous that I'm, I might not make it home or someone might spike my drink or I've never been worried about that. And that's the big concerns that our friends and our girlfriends and our, you know, the people that we love, that's something they think about. And we want to create a product that has women's safety in mind and as a priority. And we don't think that as a group of white men, Rogers being one of them, even of the lead investors, yeah, that, that wow. we could understand that and, and yeah, build a product, cool. build a product that was thoughtful. And I was like, that was a test of you passed. I can like, now, I can, okay. <laughs> and now I can vouch, now I can vouch for you. And so I said, I'm going to open up my whole network. You talk, you tell me who you want to meet and I'll make the connection. And then I never heard from them again. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, 
so this whole thing i was like you know having this whole cinematic moment and i was like oh, okay, it didn't work out um and then i hosted a big gala and i've done um five galas where you know we raised thousands and thousands of dollars for, for a special cause um one of my biggest ones that I've, I've ever done was at the Omni and I honored Rogers as part of that um, because he really does hire and, and empower millennials to, um, to pursue these careers in real estate and really help them to become successful. So I honored him at this event and um, he pulled me aside and he goes, you know, I don't know if you know this, but some of the vouch team is here. Um, you know, and I got to say hi to some of the people who participated and he goes, I'm going to text you in the morning. Um, I want to talk to you about something. And I was like, I'm probably going to still be up cleaning, but okay. And he says, one, that was one of the most special nights. Thank you so much for including me. Two, I watched you command the attention of a room full of 2,000 drunk millennials, and they stopped and listened to you. And he goes, I don't know what sauce you're working with here, but I need to introduce you to the vouch team. And he didn't know that I had already, had already uh, met them and then uh, accosted them to ask why they were hiring a young female CEO. And he goes, I, I, they're not, they're still looking for a CEO. I, I need to put you in touch with them. And um, I said, I've already, I've already connected. He goes, well, it's, I don't want them to look anymore. It's you. You got to just stop what you're doing. Like this is, this is a role that you need to, you need to take. And I'm going to vouch for you, but you need to answer the phone tomorrow. And so sure enough, that the next day he puts me in a group text with the founding team and says, you don't have to look for your CEO anymore. I found her. And it was funny because in my head, I was like, this is so awkward. We've already met, you know, it was a <laughs> dramatic moment. <laughs> you know, I've already kind of uh, harassed them about this. And, and so it took about a month of contract negotiations and me kind of exiting the last company and, and going on my way. And um, yeah, it was just a moment of, um, again, someone recognizing not necessarily my skill set and my experience as, you know, you know, word for word and as objective, it was- But your abilities, yeah. My capabilities to connect with people and to listen and to sell out an event and to build community, I think was what, you know, and I had built mobile apps before. It's not like this was my first time. So it was, that was almost like icing on the cake. They're like, well, she has experience in building something mobily, um, but, but more than, you know, something that's not as coachable, teachable is, is this community building um, factor. And so I just, I got so freaking lucky. Uh, the timing was, was really great. And, and it's not to say it wasn't hard work, but it was, um, it, it still was a lot of work, but uh, to just have something in the right place and for me to have the opportunity to leave my last business and to come here and then to still be able to operate my other companies and then still run vouch it was really crazy and, um I always tell that story not because and I say it's crazy not not because I think it's um it's impossible for someone else to replicate it um I've heard different versions of my story from a ton of different founders and CEOs where you know an opportunity presented itself took pros it. and cons were weighed and then kind of, I don't want to say common sense was thrown out the window, but it was kind of like a calculated, let's do it yeah. and, and go all in. And, um, you know what I want everyone to hear that. Well, here's what I love about your story is I think if it, if millennials are going to add, they're going to add so much, right. To, mm -hmm. to the, to the, the business world for lack of a better term. But I really see you guys revolutionizing the way that we hire. It has yeah. always been based on credentials, what your resume, what you bring to the table, but not your innovation, not your creativity, not what you, not what you're about, the soft skills, the things that we cannot train. Yeah. And I think um, you, your generation is going to be the generation that revolutionizes that and, and makes the way that or shifts the way that we hire back to the way it should be. 
somebody yeah. who yeah. could just be mentored and raised up to be something wonderful versus somebody who has this like degree, they can check a box or, yeah. you know, their resume fits the bill, but they don't have those characteristics that really make a true leader. I think um, I, I heard, and it was, I used to tell us these stories of like horror stories when we were preparing, when I was preparing for medical school. And then it happened to one of my friends and I thought, oh my gosh, I had a friend, perfect grades, perfect, I mean, literally a perfect MCAT score, did not get one thing wrong, um, which is insane. Um, perfect MCAT score, perfect grades, perfect everything, uh, did not get accepted to any school. And I remember thinking like, oh, I don't understand. Medical schools actually do a really good job of interviewing and then looking for clues to who you are based on your experience and what you might be like as a physician. This guy never left his dorm room. This guy never volunteered. He never worked. He never spent time. Patients if you don't talk to people. Yeah, and unless you're the radiologist sitting in a dark room somewhere, you still need to be a team player. You still need to show that you're able to collaborate and you're able to, you know, and, and I, I thought about, that still haunts me to this day. I'm like, Oh God, can you imagine being perfect on paper and yeah. missing the hustle missing the, yeah. and, and that's, and when I talk on stage with people, um, I, I want, I remember going to events and feeling wildly intimidated by the people talking about their success. And it still feels wildly uncomfortable to talk about what I've done. And although I've had successes, I don't, count myself as a total success but what I want people to hear is there's two things that always stick out to me you can't document hustle on paper like you don't know even my own resume which is so I made I redid my resume to just practice the design project the other day and it's still the strangest story but on that you can't see that I'm willing to literally stay out longer than anybody I still you know I have a photo booth company where we do events that end at two o'clock in the morning because it's not you know a, a party or a wedding I show up to almost every, if I can, I show up to help my team break down because a lot of my team is uh, made up of, of women. I want to make sure that they get to their car safe. I want to make sure that they have the help. And you can't document that on my resume. You can't document like how much further I'm willing to go to make sure that things are done well. And I tell people that is, is, as much as you want to have a strong resume. And that's why I'm so, I mean, I really would love your feedback. I need people to be dy as dynamic on paper as they are um in, or to to be both dynamic on and offline and that's why i talk about the power of social media you can build a brand that has equity and and is high value when you haven't you know necessarily had the same jobs as your your, your neighbors yeah, um, yeah and that's not something that, that, that i do feel very confident in is if you look at what i talk about on linkedin and what i talk about on on instagram and who i am i don't wait like none of this changes it's right. different it's filters person through and through that's what's so nice and i think that's and then, what people really find value in mm -hmm. and i just i just person on this podcast that you were on linkedin talking about how people need to bring linkedin back to business like <laughs> back to business linkedin um, and and it's just i tell people that is you know that's something that has to come from um, you there it's not a it, it's it's something you can learn it's definitely something you can practice but it does take that energy and um you know people someone the other day was like you're like a female uh, I didn't know if taking this as a compliment or not like you have the same like passion as Gary V and I was like oh god don't get me started on Gary V um but then I realized what Gary V and I have in common is like it doesn't really matter what we're talking about we try to be confident about it even if we're not sure like we're still trying to to have that same passion um I don't think you need to, you know, Gary sometimes has these videos. It's like, don't speak up for 10 years, stay quiet, 
focus, head down, you eat know, shit. Yeah. Eat shit. I was going to say, but you said, you know, eat shit for 10 years. And I'm like, if I had done that, I would have been in medical yeah. school, probably miserable. Right. Yeah, I disagree with that. I've always disagreed with that completely. And, you know, I realize though that the reason why some people really love that message is some people need a kick in the ass to do some work. Yeah. I haven't need somebody to, to yell at me. Even though my dad's in the army, I'm not, I don't have a drill sergeant as a dad. He's always <laughs> been kind of like the soft-spoken colonel in the back who's like, well, I'm happy with that, but I would be more happy if you did this. And it's right. never been a forceful thing. It's always the consultative been. consultative parent. He's like, <laughs> where he's like, my mom's like the crazy rambunctious one. And my dad's like, hmm. I'm not upset. I'm disappointed. And you're like, that's so much worse. Like, no! <laughs> so Funny. It's so much worse, dude. Um, but you know, then it's that some people need that extra kind of like, you know, motivation, and, uh, you know, the, all of that to get them excited and passionate. But if you have it internally, um, how you refine that and then demonstrate it, it, it's all up to you. And and that's kind of a beauty. And also the part that it is scary is that we all have the opportunity to, to get these different types of, uh, you know, exposure online, offline to new opportunities. And I think the one thing I'm good at is I, I can make a calculated risk and I'm not afraid to kind of say, well, again, with vouch, mend, reshape, all of this currently, currency, millennial clubs, all of that has been, this could work, this could not work, but I'm just going to hope that, I'm just going to plan that it's all going to be successful and just work yeah. in that, in that if way. You don't, and if you never tried, there's no way it could ever work if you never tried. Yeah. Yeah. Truly. Truly. Yeah. Love it. That's a phenomenal story. episode. Yeah, I love so it. I'm happy that you came on. Hey, I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad we got it all worked out. And I, again, I, I think, um, I, this is the same, I, I believe this for vouch and then just, just in general that I want people who get to listen to this or, you know, just are engaging with social or wherever you find this podcast or others that, being more virtual doesn't need to mean less personal. I feel like I've been chatting with you guys like how I know. I feel like I've been for years. Like we're just <laughs> friends. Like we're just instantly we can just talk about whatever. Yeah, and people I just want people to feel more comfortable to to be themselves and to joke and to but also to, to be really serious about their their passions and um I think that's that's truly the only the only way I've been able to do any bit of what I've done or what I'll do in the future is all is all that. Yeah, love it. Ask her our typical question. Yeah, well, you know, sometimes we do and sometimes we don't, but I think you're the perfect uh, candidate for this question. If you could go back to your, uh, usually I say 20-year-old self, because you're so young, I'm going to say if you could go back to your 18-year-old self, what advice would you give? Um, you can say 20. I feel like I didn't start my professional, like, I, I, I feel like I've had a, I don't know, learning experiences that I, if I didn't have them, I wouldn't be here. One thing I tell people is get it in writing, whatever it is. If you're starting a business venture, if you're planning, I don't, get things in writing and formalize them for two reasons. Legally, it helps you. <laughs> Secondly, it helps make things more real. I, I still talk to people who say, well, I'm going to start a business, but they haven't put pen to paper and they haven't looked into the process and they haven't written anything down. And I found that even at 18, and I'm not, I'm not the type of person who writes down my yearly goals and looks at them every, I, I haven't ever been that person. But when it comes to writing things down, it just makes things a little bit more real. And um, I think looking back, I would have made some larger steps forward um, had I 
gotten more formal with it and taken it more seriously and probably would have made a lot more money if I had gotten things more formalized and legalized. And um, so write it down, get it in writing and uh, it'll protect you in the long run and then help you uh, be, to be a better version of yourself. That's awesome. I love that. And, and just a little, um, words of wisdom or advice for you girl you are just starting you are yes. you're on fire like this is you're 28 years old but the the bulk of your career is in front of you so yeah. it's, it's going to be fun to watch the, well, the, the you do oh yeah you get to watch it too yeah. so <laughs> if people want to find vouch obviously this will be for anyone who's listening who's single because mm -hmm. uh, if you're married your spouse is probably not going to vouch for you <laughs> well, so the cool, the cool part is, is that we have two interfaces. I, I forgot to mention this whole thing is that there's two sides of vouch. You can be there to date or there to vouch. So if you are single, um, you can still vouch for friends. But if you're taken, um, you know, I have a fake profile on vouch. I'm not actively, actively dating. I can invite you guys, my mom, my best friends who are married, and they can still vouch for me. They don't show up in the dating pool. They don't get to swipe like through potential matches. Um, other than the ones for me. And so we actually, that's kind of a big thing that I think I don't emphasize enough is you can actually use this app and be in a relationship. Um, you know, they, but it's very clear what side you're on. Um, so I don't want angry email saying, well, I saw my boyfriend vouching. It's very distinct between the two. Um, and so vouch is, um, we post a lot of good information on, on Instagram and that's just try vouch app on Instagram. And then if you go to our website, which is trivouchout.com, you can see all of our events. We're hosting a virtual dating show um, that'll air on, on Facebook and Instagram. And uh, we post all different information about how to use the app and any questions. And then there's a link to download it in the app store. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a good spot to land to see kind of all that we're up to. Awesome. awesome. Very cool. Well, thanks for joining us today. It was a lot yeah, of fun. Thank you so Listen much. to your story. I just, I'm so in awe of all that you've accomplished in such a short amount of time. Ah, well, thank you, thank you for erratic resume. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I love that you actually pulled it up because it, it really it doesn't make any uh, sense. But it's yeah, I read it before the podcast, and I was like, all right, yeah. okay. It's as, it's as weird <laughs> as it looks, but I, you know, I hope people see that and think, well, I'm in a weird spot, but that doesn't mean I can't change my that's right. pathway or my trajectory. Right. Like, right, perfect. You could be making nine dollars an hour in the ER, like I was five. Yes. Well, I never <laughs> thought like as a single like. I was, I bartended for like 10 years. Never would mm -hmm. I thought I would be a salesperson in staffing. Never. Not yeah. With a podcast. What? Well, like, nobody grows up and says they want to be in staffing. <laughs> no, but I'm not mad about it. I like I love it. it. Yeah. All right, y'all. I have actually, I have plans this afternoon at 1.15. So okay. I do have to sign off, but it was wonderful. Sorry about the technical difficulties in the beginning, but it, it all worked out. Yeah. Yeah. Thank thanks guys. so much. Yeah. Uh, thank you. All right, and bye. We'll tag you whenever it comes out. Oh, please do. I can't wait to share. Bye, guys. Okay, bye. I don't know how to get out of here. <laughs> uh, uh. Thank you okay. so much. I really appreciate it. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. Seriously, that was amazing. I'm about to stop recording.